Hello and welcome to the 158th edition of the Guna Podcast. This is your host Kevin Witcher speaking and I've had a very busy day which means I am on the wing as it were. I'm just making this up as I go along tonight. However, we are recording uh, towards the tail end of the international break on the Tuesday evening before Arsenal travel to Watford next weekend and uh, last game which I can't even remember now, was at home to Brighton and was a uh, 2-0 victory, as I recall. Glad you remember that. Yes, it does seem like an eternity <laughs> ago. Gunas Anonymous. Anyway, I'm going to have to do my panel intros off the cuff. So first of all, um, I'll start with our regular panellist, um, long-serving... Uh, um, what's Big your name team. these days? Hang on, it's Mustafa Goldstein, isn't it? Yes, yes. <laughs> you can call me Bastine. As we normally do <laughs> after about a minute. <laughs> anyway, Hampstead's finest. What was the last famous Arsenal player you saw wandering the streets of your neighbourhood? Oh my God, you've thrown me there. I've been away for a month. I've mm. been off writing a book, not about Arsenal. Mm. Um, um, oh God, I, did I call you and tell you? Because you probably remember uh, them. Was it Lehman or someone? I don't know. Layman? Obviously not. Okay, no. we're moving swiftly on. If it comes back to me, I'll tell you, <laughs> but I really can't think I went and introduced um, our next guest, which is... Um, sorry, <laughs> I'm completely blank here. <laughs> it's, it's Tim. Um, Tim Payton. <laughs> uh, Mr. Mr. PR for uh, all the uh, cricket. Do you do any other sports? Cricket, horse racing, tennis, bit of rugby league. Who do you represent for tennis? Usually the governing bodies, the mm. LTA. Okay, all right. So he's a man who uh, calms the waves of the various storms that uh, crop up and is also a board member of the Arsenal Supporters Trust, far more relevant here. And uh, we've got the AGM to look forward to in about two and a half weeks. So I'm sure we will discuss... More action than on the pitch at an AGM. Uh, indeed, indeed. It's going to be a good one. And finally, a very special guest. Been on once before, um, probably about four or five years ago. And um, quite significant that this guest is here because October 1987 saw the launch of the Guna Fanzine, which is the reason this podcast exists. And um, in the early days, she used to be a contributor occasionally and has moved on to greater things, in all fairness. So, uh, without further ado, it was I'll just introduce Amy Lawrence. I'd say a bit different, not necessarily greater. Well, that's, that's yeah. um, subjective judgment. From the Guna to football journalist to the So impressive. Indeed. So anyway, uh, let's start with um, current matters. And um, last time we gathered um, to record a podcast, Arsenal had just been defeated by Liverpool. We were in the middle of an international break and things weren't looking very good. Since then, we've had uh, seven matches, we've had six wins and a draw. Um, how optimistic are you that 
we have turned this around and we're not going to see a repeat of the kind of disaster we saw at Anfield. <laughs> but word optimism is a good one, isn't it? Um, I, I think we'll sort of be fair to middlingly all right and get some kind of um, run together which will then fall to bits at some point and then all those big gaping great big gaps will come in again. It'll just be the same old, same old. Do you not convinced? No, I'm very far from convinced that we're going to challenge for the, for the Premiership or, or anything of any... Well, we can't ch challenge for the Champions League, can we? Um, I really don't see us going the whole way in the... In, in the uh, is it called the UEFA Cup? No, the Europa Cup, the what's it Cup, the sort of international meaningless cup. I'm um, a big fan of the Europa League. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. fair, fair, well, Amy... Be a I, big fan. I was in Belarus. Some people are big Tottenham fans. It's, it's, like fresh air. Air. it's like football should be in a way. Well, yes, it's okay. so if we get relegated. <laughs> yeah, so if we get relegated to the what used to be the fourth division and play Barnets, then that will also be refreshing and it will also be really nice and nostalgic and god that's what football's about and isn't it nice? But we as a you know, Arsenal Football Club wants to be um, challenging at the top level. Um, so Yes, it's the worthless. It, it's, to me, it's the sort of you, you know, the milk cup of Europe. I struggle with that because, and again, call me a, you know, you talk about sort of nostalgia for the good old days, and maybe I'm as bad as that as, it, as anybody could be. But Palmer in 1994 remains one of the great Arsenal moments in my experience, um, and it's a, a European competition that actually doesn't even exist. It's that insignificant now. Uh, you know, people who are well, they merged it, didn't they? You wait well, for them. Was that what they, they said? They more or less just jerked it off and said, you know, we'll rename the UEFA Cup and uh, have two European competitions. And obviously, there's that mimicking of the Champions League because they're both run on a league format, albeit the Europa League is so bloated. Um, but I think that it's a pity, and in, in many ways, I see you in the worthless cup, and people people also turn their noses up at the League Cup. But again, for people of a certain age. Charlie Nicholas in 1987, that was a hugely significant Arsenal huge. moment. Oh, God, that, without that, there is no Anfield in oh, okay. 89. There is no uh, winning the league in 91, losing only one game. It was the, the essential starting block in that period of time. It was, it was the first crack at the mighty Liverpool who for two decades were the, the, you know, the, the powerhouse don't get me wrong in, in I'm not, yeah. so I, I, I think you can, you know, we can sniff at these sort of so-called junior well, we've been spoiled, or we can embrace we? them we've been spoilt for a period of time where we were fighting at the top level so now to go down a little bit and uh, don't get me wrong, listen, I would punch the air when Charlie Nicholas scored and I was there in 94 when Smudger scored and it was just the greatest moment of my life until we beat Real Madrid in a way, that was pretty good as well. Although it was better than that. Um, it was if you want to see why it's got something for it, look at those clone fans who gave us, I think, yeah. one of the best games Proper football we've fans. had at that yeah. new stadium, yeah. you know, yeah. for all the issues that happened. Once yeah. it got going, it was electric, and it, yeah. but it meant something to them. Actually, yeah. oh, meant, it meant something to the home fans and created it. Yeah. And then equally, and I do think, you know, here we are, poor old Arsenal, Liverpool win a few games. When you go to somewhere like Belarus, I'm sure Ames, you see these locals who get a chance to see Arsenal for the first time, and actually, seasoned old people like me kind of fold the arms, come on and entertain us, and they're so excited to see yeah, them. Those teams. are tense, we sing, who it, are you? In some ways, they, it really? reminds me, going, going so, to places like that <laughs> reminds me that we're I've a club. A, but I've got to talk to Tottenham fans who are having a go at me about Thursday night, which we've done for the... Look, you're going on about Thursday night, we were all sniffing at Thursday nights for 10 years, right? 20 years. So... 
Well, we're talking now about we're here, of course, we deal with what we're given. It's like if you're, if you're on the dole, you're going you're to deal with it and say, well, it's all right being on the dole, isn't it? You know, <laughs> hang I mean, on, hang on. The, the experience of being a football fan isn't always about worrying about the status of your club. Which is a reason a lot of Arsenal fans who used to go to the Emirates. Yeah, but you asked me the question: uh, How are we going to do? First of all, right? Yes. Do you, am we, I optimistic? We've lost off topic. And I'm not. And, yeah, we have. <laughs> but I'm not optimistic we're even going to win the Europa Cup. Right. I'm not optimistic of that. Um, I, I'm not optimistic we're going to win anything. That's not to say we won't. Um, but but if we can have some fun trying. Well, of course we've got to have fun because, as Kev always tells me, and I'm sitting next to him, freaking out, getting angry. He just says. Because it's just entertainment, Bass. Chill out. You know what I mean? Because I'm freaking out. Going, Come off a bloody old sake, Ramsey, and whatever, right? And he's saying, Bass, calm down. Give yourself a heart attack. You know what I mean? But that doesn't mean I don't want them to win, you know, obviously. But it is, yeah. You know, you've got to sort of drop a shoulder on you these days, I suppose. Amy, are you seeing on the pitch signs that Arsenal are going to do better than they did last season? Not particularly. Um... In the sense that you talk about, you know, there is something very familiar about this pattern <laughs> of, a, you know, an unbelievably shameful banana skin in front of everybody where you just, you know, you get up blushing, wishing yeah. that the floor would open you up. That's what Arsenal did at Liverpool. And then, you know, putting on a brave face, dusting themselves down and getting on with it and putting a decent run together. We've seen that you know, re repeated within each season for each of the last ten seasons or so at various points. It's a common kind of... Uh, and do it's, you... It's a theme. I know so, you're a journalist mm, and you're objective. Mm, and you have close links with the people who are at the club. But as a supporter... Mm, and you still have a season ticket, I believe. I do, yes. Do you feel like it's time to have a different kind of season? Yeah, I think you're probably right, and I think that was the uh, the the root. That entire question was the complete crux of the whole Arsene Wenger debate. Mm. You know, do you do you want almost all the same? And I definitely thing. feel a, a lot of people that I spoke to, obviously not people within the club who can't say such things, but you know, just out and about people who are. are who are connected to Arsenal, who care about about Arsenal. It was an overwhelming feeling I felt towards the latter stages of the will-he-won't-he will he, um, dilemma of the latest contract renewal, where just people were saying almost, I don't, not I don't care because people obviously care, but I don't care so much if it's still a bit rubbish and terribly disappointing at times. I just wanted to feel different. Mm. And there is this, you know, this is something that, we all spend far too much time thinking about, you know, disproportionate to what really probably matters in each of our little lives. Uh, and it, it means the world to, to, to everyone who puts a stake in the club and, and puts their colours on that mask and says, I'm Arsenal. If that's how you feel, you want to have hope, number one. You've got to have hope. And when Bastley turns around and says, you know, I'm not particularly optimistic that we're going to win anything. That's quite a difficult thing for a football fan to have because I think essentially every football fan has to have some semblance of thinking we might win today, even if you're on a 10-match losing streak or whatever it was that Paul Leighton went through recently where he couldn't win forever. Or you, you, you know, you have to feel this time it could be different. Otherwise, you'd never go. <laughs> exactly, and and it's too masochistic. I was like watching Wales yesterday, and it was funny. It was odd because I was 
finding myself supporting Wales because Ramsey's playing, right? So I'm sort of going all Ramsey, right? And every time he kicked the ball up... five seconds ago. No, but it's, but it's just... You know, but it's, it's like watching Arsenal. It was like watching Arsenal. I found myself getting nervous and irritated because Ireland parked the bus... Wales were going left and right and then just couldn't get through. And it was just like watching Arsenal again. There was no kind of, like, you know, remember the days of obviously, you know, Henri and Bergkamp and all that. And we just sliced them up. You know, we could just do things that would just slice them up. And we have players who you think are capable of, of that. But something's not gelling there. Well, something's I think when you look at the great Arsenal teams, that, you, know, you mentioned those players. And when you think back to those times, what was so exceptional about it is you had these fabulous individuals but they were able to channel their genius into the team. And I think you can, when you watch current Arsenal, you get flashes. You know, there are moments in games or, yeah. you know, moments in, in, in different periods of time where a player or a little move or whatever it is can take your breath away. The, Arsenal still have that. Yeah. Um, but the difficulty is sustaining it and the difficulty is creating this thing that's bigger than everybody's individual moments. Um, and, and I think that's what Arsenal have struck, have really found the, the, the trick that they can't crack. Uh, and that's the difference between competing for the, you know, the massive trophies, Champions League and Premier League or what have you. And you know, let's not forget winning three FA Cups out of four uh, in the last few years. And you say you're not optimistic, but if Arsenal could win the FA Cup three years out of four, there's no reason why they can't win one of those cups, be it FA Cup, League Cup or, or Europa League uh, this year also. But as a fan, I was still more optimistic watching, say, Merson and Parler and, that, that, well, Hillier, I'm probably... You know, the 94 team, for example, you know... Uh, yes, but that was a team where everybody the understood in their jobs. Yeah, you know? and also yeah. you overlay nostalgia, <laughs> nostalgia onto that and where we were at the time in reality I still felt more optimistic now I felt more well actually on the way to maybe, Palmer maybe. I still asked favourites to win the Europa League but now we have to wait and see who drops down exactly and we're the highest, you make that but because, because yeah, not because goes. we're in it and who you can put there and mm. the seedings but the quality of that squad and who comes down I've got, I've got like, winning the FA Cup and winning the Europa League are very within Arsenal's attainment this year and if it all clicked they could go higher I mean none of us believe it will click under the current manager but if we changed manager and that manager delivers us third or fourth place in an FA Cup I think that would be seen as success against resources oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and partly it's this year after year of appearing to see the same Werner faults come up and I'm so with Amy and sometimes I feel bad when I think this which I think I just want to hear a manager give different excuses in post-match conference mm -hmm. I just want to see a different way of tackling it we'll probably come third or fourth because that's about where the par is for our budget mm -hmm. but this sense of groundhog day mm -hmm. under the same manager people have become weary of it and Liverpool just it feels like the same cycle on repeat, doesn't it? Yeah. Terrible performance. You think that dressing room has lost. It's not playing for him. And then they'll come out with eight wins in a row. Mm. But it's that thing where I, I just think you look at the team and you think, uh, you know, go up north and, and don't be scared to one of the big teams. Like, where is this... But they did then do that at Chelsea. Medicine? They then did that at Chelsea a bit. I felt they went there and they weren't scared and they played much more tough yes. and resilient, which mm -hmm. is kind of the equivalent game. Mm -hmm. What you mean is when they go to the big club. So I suppose the test, going back to Kevin's original question, is you know the only way that cynics like us are going to be are going to move from that point of saying, well, we're not optimistic or you're not expecting anything to be different because the pattern's the same and the same, is to take that Chelsea performance and never mind these ones that have come around it against 
the teams that you'd like to hope that Arsenal will probably get results against and see what happens at the next big big it, City you know, City away Spurs home in about a month that's that's that will really be that will nail the rest of the season what worries me a bit about Arsenal is that when, when, when you've got the ball at the back a kind of very almost slow motion sheepish there's, there's not a sort of you know we get the ball and, and it, there's a kind of um, timidity you know, we're, we're, we don't seem to be ruthless and quick and angry. You know, I watched, well, I've been in Spain for a month, so I've been watching Real Madrid and Barcelona on telly and stuff. And, you know, they get the ball, and it's like, first time, boom, 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 let's go. And we've got the ball, and it's like, oh, oh, I'm not so, I'll control it a bit first, and shall I pass it to him? No, I'm going to go over here. You know, it just seems hesitant, and there's a lot of vacillation within individuals there. It doesn't seem... Uh, I think if there's one thing that has excited me above all else about this little mini run that's followed Liverpool, it's Jack Wilshire. Yeah. And exactly what you're exactly. talking yeah. about yeah. He, he doesn't is, care, he goes. Yeah. Is, is what he is capable of bringing. We all know that that's a, a, a delicate conundrum. We just, you know, we have to hope that that turns out in, in, in a positive way. But I think there have been moments where... You, you know, when you watch Arsenal's midfield, it's it's easily the department of the team that can look quite dysfunctional. Um, you know, finding that right blend, it's probably been about 18 months where it feels like Arsenal's been trying different combinations to see what might work, what might not work. You know, Coquelin and Ramsey, and then Ramsey and Elneny, and then... You know, Jacker and this one and that one, and and really, on the whole, none of them as a combination have been massively convincing. And I think that's where, when you talk about the defending, and you know, defences will look up and they'll want to play it to a Vieira or a Petit or a Gilberto Silva or a Fabregas. Mm. And unfortunately, that Arsenal at the moment don't have too many of that quality in centre well, midfield. Well, with Cazorla in that respect. But exactly, with Cazorla out the team and with Wilshire out the team for the long term, it's been really difficult to mm. try and find a, a solution that, that's fantastic. So, um, naively, I pin some hope Jack. on Jack yeah. actually making the kind of comeback that lasts. So does Gareth Southgate. Well, that England need him just as much, don't yeah. they? But maybe even players more. Players of, of his <laughs> vision are not commonplace. Yeah, it was very it was very strange to see him back because I actually thought, oh well that's the last we'll see of Jack Wilshire because when, you know it, it was you know well, they player of the good him anywhere this summer, wouldn't they, if they could have. Mm, but but then he's such a good player and he's he, he's when he's you know he's got this low centre of gravity, he sort of pu- pu- pushes forward, he's not scared to have a go. Um, and if I look at players, I mean sh- I'm, I, don't, I don't feel convinced about Shaka and El Nenny at all in their kind of you know there's a they're just, it's almost as though they've got a mis- mistake waiting to happen uh, vibe going about them. Um, uh, whereas Jack, you just feel like he'll, he'll you know, give the ball a run, create a triangle, move into a sp- and put a cross in, you know, you'll have a go. Have a go, Jack, whatever. But um, we need a bit more of that, a bit more cut and thrust, I think, a bit more daring. Daring do is the word. Jack, Jack was big mates with Wojciech Chesney, and I get the feeling that some of their japes and some of their approach to being a member of the Arsenal squad didn't always fit with what Arsene looks for in a professional. Do you think there's an element whereby Jack has already burnt his bridges there? Or, or, or is, there a, is there a chance he might actually be encouraged to sign a new deal? I think fate might have intervened here. As as Tim said, there was every chance that he was going to go 
this summer. Um, at various points over the last couple of years, I think it, it could have been, you know, the end of, of that relationship. But fate has brought him back and created an opening. Um, and if he... I mean, it, we wait for him to play against the highest calibre opponents. It's been pr probably the perfect situation for him. He's been coming into games against teams who are not quite of the absolute elite in terms of the challenge. So to go to uh, uh, Bate Borisov or to have, have a run out against Doncaster Rovers or um, you know e even some of the games where he's come on against he's played against a little bit against Brighton and West Brom I can't remember all the games but they you know there's been space for him and he hasn't been under too much physical pressure mm. I think that it's a great opportunity for him to that this could be the springboard but he's got to just take that next level and show that he can perform at that at the highest level and dominate games against the toughest opposition who won't give him a second mm. um, it's it's great to find to look up and find a pick a beautiful pass yeah. when you've got space yeah. and time um, and what may also work for him is clearly Urzel isn't signing another contract and actually you know the manager can be I think the, the, the not playing at Urzel in recent games is a little bit more than just a bit of an injury I think there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a kind of, that's almost like a tacit agreement he gets a week off at Christmas doesn't he here and there oh. and I think he got his bit of time off but I do think that opens up this opportunity you know, for, for Jack Wilshire, it's going to be very interesting watching the next three months, and we've all got to kind of cross fingers for him because, of course, it's the injury issue mm. of when he plays also, two tough games in a week and really get has to mix it against, you know, against one of the tough midfields, and does he stand up to it? But there's so much talent in there if they mm. can just get him firing. Well, there is, but there's also that little bit of kind of gazerness about him in the off-field. You know, can he keep? Because I mean, that whole kind of being caught with a cigarette going out obviously clubbing then and, and doing that kind of stuff. You know, is he maturing as a person who's going to sort of, you know, uh, fit into the Arsenal's regime of um, well-behaved... No. Look, I think, I think Amy knows as well. But uh, lots of players are up to that kind of thing. Arsenal won't worry at all as long as he's performing on the pitch. Arsene yeah, Wenger, <laughs> you know, loved Ray Parler. Yeah. Who was never an angel oh, in terms of his off-the-field <laughs> behaviour. Uh, because of what he brought to the team. Exactly. So I think I think Arson is quite good at being able to be flexible with his principles. Mm -hmm. If the player, were, I mean, it, you know, there have recently been a, a couple of stories aired that you know some people are annoyed with Sanchez and Ozil getting sort of preferential treatment. Um, and really, since they've been at the club, they have had privileges uh, that others don't get, mm. or certainly don't get so freely. So um, I think that you know he uh, Arsene knows what he has to do to, to try and juggle all the balls, um, but it, you know it, it's sometimes he'll turn on someone and say, right, I'm not, I'm not, have, I'm not having that from you, and that's the end of that particular mm -hmm. situation. But others he can be more flexible with. So be interesting. I think it's down to Jack to make sure that he's in in the half of the of the sort of vengometer like where where I am with. With people that he will he will cut him some slack. Okay, well I do I do like to mention our listeners to submit uh, topics and questions. Uh, Joe Gagliardi uh, asked about the Europa League. 
Um, is he asked so far has the Europa League experience been better or worse than you expected well we've sort of covered that but there is one little side issue which I think is worth raising which is we're seeing a few young players in um, European competition not just the League Cup um, who's excited you this, this season? I mean, I went into the season with massive expectations about Reese Nelson because mm. seen him a little bit with various youth teams. Um, what is his natural nat- natural position? He's one of those. He's a classic Wenger uh, kind of can play anywhere along that attacking midfield zone. So um, why is he playing as a right wing back? Uh, I think two reasons. I think one is to try and instil some discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, uh, you know, almost in that sense of even with a young Thierry Henry saying, here, you go and play wide, even though he thinks he's a centre forward, to just try and build in some kind of different work ethic or some different understanding of, of the job or a different skill set that, you know, you can then bring to your natural position. Um, so I think that's part of it. And uh, there is also some kind of seniority at play. So if you're picking a League Cup ga- uh, team or whatever and Theo Walcott's around, he's going to get first dibs on the attacking role, even though you might think, well, actually, let's let Reese Nelson loose where he's going to do damage. With the young players, the really fascinating thing always is getting them to translate their natural ability that they're showing in the younger age groups on the big stage because they're so fearful of making mistakes. It's a really, really fine line. Am I going to, you know, try something, give the ball away and it costs us a goal and then I might never get picked again? That, like, I think they have a real pressure that they have to overcome when they're out there picked for the first few times between how much can I show what I'm going to do or should I just be a bit safety first and just make sure I don't drop a massive bollock somewhere? Um, and I think... They've been, you know, it's taken Reese Nelson maybe a couple of games where he's been a bit more cautious, and I think the more games he gets, the more you'll see him trying uh, the kind of special things that he can do. Do we have any hopes for um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, or you, you think yeah, he's? I think he, again, he's playing in a really, a really difficult position for you know for him at, at left wing back. That's completely alien to him. He's he's much more of a central midfield player. Um, and I think that, again, he'll have benefited massively from the job that he's been asked to do. And Wenger likes him because he's, he's played him you know, over, over a number of years now, giving him little bits and pieces. And the other one, of course, is Joe Willock, who has forced his way in um, really since the summer. I think he had a couple of bits of football and was around the first team in pre-season. And some, you know, Wenger does that sometimes. He sees someone in pre-season and they've seen them every day and he's seen them with and against the big guns. And that's when he thinks, okay, you've got you've got something I want to work with. And I, I think I know he was very taken with Joe Willock over the summer, wanted to give him a chance. And is he better than his brother? He's completely different. Um, his brother is a, a, a much more attacking uh, player, um, much more fancy footwork, and Joe is much more of a, of a kind of box to box. He's got you know, a different kind of stamina, different involvement in the game tackles more of a kind of midfield defensive orientated player Mm. it's just fun to be watching and talking about new players and I do want to give credit to Arsenal as well because they've set pricing for both of those competitions at the level that matches the team but he's kind of you know 
ba- balances it out. And you know, f- you know, five pound for kids, ten pound for adults to go to the league cup stuff. They reset the pricing for the Europa League. It's kind of C minus in terms of category. I think fifteen and twenty five pounds, depending on what you are. What about and it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's the right price for that kind of thing. But, but I would say to Arsenal fans, come along and watch some of these youngsters. They play their heart out. It's great. It's an affordable price. The away fans are excited to be there as well, and in some cases, I think when Bart buys something, it might be a bit empty. But and I think the whole experience, particularly of Europa League, seeing these new players, fans from different countries, what it's all about, it's really given me a kind of new enthusiasm for it. In, well, it's in, always in nice to way. see new young, the new face come on, a young face come on, and, and and do well. You know, there's something really special about. They always had. I remember Parla's first game. I remember, you know, like lots of young players over the years, and you just you 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 really want want them to do well. And, and I also find them, I find them easier to forgive than I do the ones well, who are there for every. Well, of course, you know, and, the, and the also because you know they're a young kid and they're not like yeah. a, you know a prima donna on two hundred and fifty k who's prevaricating about whether to sign or not. Yeah. And that's why I also say, on the one hand, we 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 can spend ages agonising about Sanchez and Ezra going, what will happen? But we're not. It'll always be eleven. Re, you know, players prepared to put on the Arsenal shirt and get out there, and kind of we're seeing that now. It's you know, the king is dead, long live the king, isn't well, it? Well, and this year, what do people want to talk about? These youngsters, yeah. much more interesting than watching, you know, whether or not Ozil's putting in a shift or not. Well, I think in one sense, it's the, the, the Europa Cup is a really good thing for us because it is a good rebuilding tool. And it's a, it's a chance for young players like that to get some real, like, international experience. You know, all that, you know, cause just going abroad and stuff for some of them, you know, I mean... To play football uh, in Europe beyond February. Exactly. Maybe. And, yeah, <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's an even more... More, uh, it's a, it's a tougher test than maybe playing in in uh, uh, in, in the milk oh, cup. cup league cup stick to it. I've <laughs> had so many names. I don't know what to call it. Call anymore, it the league know. cup. All this, all this corporate corporate uh, cup. The corporate cup. It's a high um, energy. <laughs> Drink from time. Yeah, I, th- yes. I thought it was an insurance company before I found out. I don't even know what it's called. It's the Red Bull of Thailand. Is, uh, it? is oh. it? Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Okay. Uh, anyway, that provides us with an almost seamless link talking about youngsters because um, I'm relating this now to Ajax and uh, stories about Mark Overmars coming to Arsenal. Now, Mark Overmars, as I understand it, is the, and I haven't read any of this, I've been told about it, is the uh, director of football at Ajax. And the suggestion that he might be coming to the club would kind of go against... Arson's pronouncement that he wouldn't work under a director of football. Amy, a bit of me thinks Arson has always had this philosophy that he wants to leave Arsenal in the best possible state when he departs. And yet, the structure at the club isn't comparable with other top European sides who have some kind of strategy and specific personnel to basically ensure that on the playing side the staffing is in a particular way, transfer targets are identified, etc, etc. So I'm thinking of teams like Chelsea, Manchester City, Bayern Munich, Barcelona. Could Mark Overmars or any other comparable figure roll up at Arsenal while Arsenal is still there? Uh, Or or is it a matter of we don't change until Arsenal does uh, depart? Well, I think there is a sort of semantic way around this. If somebody 
like Mark Overmars or whoever this mystery person might be comes in who is called something other than a director of football, mm -hmm. then the club get away with trying to bring in somebody else with some football contacts and experience uh, an executive sort of position. Uh, and Arsene gets to continue his stance that he won't work with or under or alongside a, a People aren't going to be pulled though, are yeah, they? But, yeah, and, but the other, th other factor that enables this slightly is um, the moving on of Dick Law. I mean, there's, there's been some changes at executive level, not nearly enough for my liking, but, um, y you know, there is essentially a vacancy there. There obviously was a vacancy in the head of youth development for a little while, which has been temporarily filled until Perma Saka takes over. Um, there is sort of strange staffing issues that are a bit complicated, you know, with the, the scouting department, who quite is in charge of what, with the contracts, who quite is in charge of what, with... Uh, it's it's a bit messy, mm. um, and actually, it would benefit enormously from somebody coming in, probably above the whole lot of them, or uh, and overseeing, how, you know, who's doing what, perhaps not as efficiently as they should be, and sorting it out, or getting people in who are more able than some of the people who are coasting and changing things and shaking it up a bit. Mm. Club needs that. Uh, I don't think Mark Overmars is going to be the man that does that. I, I don't think that will happen until or if ever there's a change in ownership. Um, so we kind of muddle on. Well, However, why do you say that? The change in ownership. What's uh, the significance? I think that because what from what because we because of have, the relationship between Stan and Arsenal. No, well, partly, but also because from what we've learned of of Stan Kroenke's ownership style, which is pretty hands off. Um, you know, you don't get the impression he's phoning up, you know, five times a week to his man inside the club and getting the lowdown on everything and studying all the detail of, never mind on the pitch, but off the pitch, detail. What, you know, what's going on with the promotions? Why are the, why are the, you know, certain sponsors not, not renewing? Who's, what, who's what, coming in instead? What you was know, the thing you see mind about when I'm shaving, looking in the mirror, and I see the get a winning team kind of strat like that? Every day I got up and I thought, get a winning team. Yeah. That's not at all like that with Cronky. No, it's no, a long no, no, it's investment. a different, exactly. It's a completely different strategy that's going on at the club. And so if somebody does ever appear and there's a change which means that you, somebody comes in and says right we're going to have a root and branch look at this club and what everybody's doing there's 800 members of staff or whatever the hell it is it's a lot of people in a lot of different departments um, and how many of them are performing to their best is it Arsenal Football Club or Arsenal Property Estate Agent Development on the football club. side, it might be mm -hmm. small. It's actually a very small business. You know, yeah, it's yeah. a huge wage bill of two hundred million pounds, but mm. one hundred and ninety million of that goes through twenty people. You know, mm. it's, about, it's about twenty people. Well, everything's not connected. very big. It's it's connected, but you know, the commercial yeah. is now connected to the football. Well, well, only in my, the sense that the, the results in the football drives the commercial. It's a different set of team. The person desperately, desperately wants to be director of football is Ivan Gazidis. Mm. It, that's what he really, really wants. You know, office in the training ground. You know, sitting on the UEFA committee. No, but he really, you know, watch him try and fill that role the minute that Art, you know, that Arsenal goes and perhaps have a, a, a junior there. I've got one key thing to say here. I think. 
getting the executive right, sharpening it up, it's all spot on. But Arsenal have one fundamental missing now, or real fundamental, and that's that they don't get the elbows out and they've not got links to the super agents. If it's Zihavi, Mendes, or the others four of them, the other two. Um, and it's a real rough, dirty, hold-your-nose world out there. Mm. But if you don't work with those super agents, you don't get the super players. And yeah, it's kind of horrible they're taking £15 million cut out of a transfer. They own these players and decide who's going where. But so, you know, when Arsenal do rock up through Dick Law, Ivan Gazidis, they're miles out of that kind of level. We've never signed a player they're from there. And it's not... It, no, they don't want... You know, they don't want to be, partly because of Arsenal's view. And this idea that there's almost a morality not being there, well, unfortunately, they don't kind of run a football club because it's not church. It's fairly grubby in the undergrowth of how it all works. But that's where we are. And that is... I mean, I don't say... You know, people sometimes think that I talk too much about what David Dean offered. And you wouldn't bring David well, Dean back David now. Dean was exactly but it was somebody yeah. like that. It was someone yes, a bit yes. wheeler-dealer-ish someone prepared to say yeah we'll pay you 15 million pounds over the odds and you get 10 million of it because we can afford it and the money's in the bank and Arsenal will be stronger mm. and they've got to address that because well, you look at the big, trans- yeah. the big transfers going now the really big players are getting monopolised by these super agents and if you don't scratch the super agents back you don't get the player yeah we've never replaced the, the, the schmoozing of David Dean that you know he well had, that's one word for it well, you know, well you know but he he, he, he had the ability to go out there and in that marketplace and and you know look look it's very simple look at Arsenal pre David Dean and without the contrast is David Dean had the authority to seal a deal Hmm. Um, from every anecdote I've heard Dick Law cannot do that because he isn't allowed to he's got that there's two things there's the reporting line to be swift and decisive when the option comes up which kind of takes you back to the arson thing but there's also the way the game's moved on and you've got to be hanging out on the yacht mm. as they are the, or talking you know in with Mendes and scratching his ego or providing him with a player for something he needs in return for, to come back so there's two kind of key things missing at the moment decisiveness and the contacts and I don't think that, although Mark Overmars might be interesting that's kind of almost like a technical appointment now mm. we have to address how we're going to get back among those eight or ten super clubs that are dealing with the super agents? Well, I have it on good authority that the guy who's been mooted as coming from Barcelona will be coming. So, uh, watch that space. Um, it's, it was in, uh, someone sent me an email link. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I checked it out. It's the guy who deals with Barcelona's transfers for the last 10 years. Right. He's their kind of David Dean stroke, uh, whatever, well, Soriani, whatever it is. Doesn't fancy living in an independent Catalonia then. Apparently, uh, there's, there's a lot of shake up going on at Barcelona in the football club. Well, not on only yeah. in the society and uh, he he will be moving on mm. so um, I think he's uh, he's been bollocked for not signing Coutinho apparently but uh, so anyway um, big buddy of Gazidis uh, so he may be arriving um, okay just a name check Simon Albert there for the Mark Overmars discussion um, let's look forward to the AGM briefly uh, we've had Rocky the King. He's asking if Ujmanov sells up to Kroenke and goes to Everton. What, scor- what scorched earth policy do the panel think will save our club from being asset stripped? Well, I think that's more of a comment than a question, but fair <laughs> enough. Um, it seems Ujmanov um, 
is not going to allow Cronky to take the club private. Uh, I think we pretty much agree that's a good thing. Um, I don't think there's that much to discuss, but what do we think is going to happen at the AGM, Tim? At the AGM, there will be more challenge and aims towards Stan Kroenke. Mm. Um, Do you think he will actually be forced to respond? or? Well, we're at, the, the Arsenal Supporters Trust is actually surveying members at the moment on a few issues around ownership, but one of them is to ask them if they think that Stan Kroenke you know, should address the meeting, should kind of have the courtesy to talk to supporters and shareholders and follow up on commitments he made at the time of takeover. I'm sure that the membership survey will say they think that's right, and we will write in advance and request that he does speak at the AGM. I'm not sure if I expect much, but we kind of have to do the right thing of asking and expecting. It sort of comes back to what, what was being talked about a few minutes ago. Where is the direction, sense of purpose for your football club if a guy who owns 60% won't deign to give a few words of passion or encouragement or sense of purpose at the annual general meeting, one of the only three or four times he comes into the country? But that's what we'll try for. We are, you know, we're, we, we've been in regular dialogue with Usmanov, and actually we were in dialogue last week, which prompted the statement, which was encouraging, because him holding on to that 30% is important in that it still keeps the club kind of plural. It allows a few of us to hang on to the shares. There'd be no AGM. There'd be no AGM if he sold out, Do because you? he'd take the club private. We wouldn't see the report and accounts. So that little bit of scrutiny we get, and one area, as people sometimes say, what difference do you make? Well, at the last couple of AGMs, those who were there will know there was incredible kind of scepticism and challenge around the £3 million payment. And that's gone. And actually, because he just did say it went partly because it felt like the hassle of what it was creating wasn't worth the, the reaction it was getting. So there's an illustration of, in a little way, hopefully, where you can sometimes make some difference. But remember that every resolution at the AGM, every decision about how the club is run, we can all put our hands up and vote one way, he's got 67% so he wins and you know he controls the club. Yes, it's more an opportunity to make a point. Um, it's not a power play anymore, it's a protest play. Yes, exactly. Mm. Do you just in your own view do you think if Cronkey did take the club private was able to, that he would leverage the club? It's really hard to say it, it, it must be likely. I think what I think the first reason he'd do it, and the much more important reason, well, he wouldn't have to fly in and face us a lot. He could list it in Delaware, in the states, which is where you've got the very light corporate, you know, responsibilities. You wouldn't know what was going on with management fees going up or not. You know, five, ten, fifteen, twenty million a year could start being removed, and be very difficult to tell. It would be a further retrograde step to the concept of the club being something custodian and being something where we know what's going on. Mm. Okay. Well, I think I just I, my mind's just this, uh, listening to you. My mind's just thinking Herbert Chapman would be rolling in his grave at all this kind of you know, just that, that, that the way that the club's gone with under Cronkey. I mean, is there a chance of us? Or someone somehow, what, what would it take? That for, two billion pound <laughs> for, 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 for someone to, for him to, you know, vamos. I, I don't think it's possible. I think he's committed to it for the long term. What he bought, I met him a couple of times at the beginning, and he was quite clear. He bought media rights. Sport is media rights. That's where mm. it makes its value. Mm. And he knew that the American properties don't sell across the globe like Premier League football. And actually, he's been spot on. 
when he bought in, Arsenal were earning about 120 million a year in total broadcast rights. We've just seen it go past 270 million a year, and the tenders are going out next month for the next contract, and it will get bigger. The only time I saw him get excited in discussion was when he said, "Wait till, wait till Africa gets broadband, Tim," because that's you know buying the subscriptions, and. And there's still so much growth to go in English football, particularly in the overseas markets, actually, because I'm not sure how much more you can squeeze in the English financial, market with financial money. Growth. But when, right. when, when the middle class in Asia and the middle class in Africa start affording football subscriptions and watching our game, which they do, and that's, you know, it's an investment in media rights. Mm. Yeah? And the time will come, this is what I really shudder about, but the time will come when Arsenal will play a league game in Kuala Lumpur, um, you know, or Dubai or Minneapolis because he owns the property and it will be globalised so I really don't think that he's going to go and he, the statement of that as well he's put his son on the board that's you know it's a long term hold in the Cronky family but does everything have its price? well yes it does but I'm not sure now where you find the person that's got you know two and a half three billion or whatever it is to persuade him to move on it's an extraordinary amount of money there has been I'm not even sure if I'd call them a consortium I don't know Amy probably knows better than me but a bunch of wealthy Arsenal fans who've been looking at it but actually if they got hold of the club they'd have to take huge debt themselves to have to be able to buy it and then you might worry about how they serviced that or where it went it's unbelievable amounts of money you mean you know David Dean basically bought Arsenal for what £265,000 in the 80s and now it would take £2 billion I don't really see the way out unless slightly flippant comment here but you know unless Jeremy Corbyn gets in and nationalises and hands them back to us you know? love it <laughs> there's always a solution <laughs> I've got an he's, idea there he's got, he's, he is an Arsenal fan <laughs> and he's got the Cazorla chant so yes I like that I hope I don't know what I'll, I'll cling to that one Amy was, you were writing about that this week this sense of it's almost like beyond us now we just have to watch it happening yeah, I think that sort of sense of helplessness is quite frustrating, and certainly for those of us of a certain age who, you know, remember. I mean, I, I've got, I've, I've found some old letters at home. Um, God knows what kind of garbage I was <laughs> inflicting on people involved in football when I was a teenager. The but, but pretty much, I've got a, a, a series of letters on Arsenal headed paper from either Ken Fryer or David Dean or George Graham, or you know, about anything and everything. Um, responses to whatever I was complaining about, but if these were people that you could, you could, as an ordinary punter who had absolutely no rights whatsoever, except the three quid in your pocket that got you into the North Bank or whatever it was, could could either write to and be guaranteed a response back. Um, sometimes, you know, two or three pages of proper argument. I had. So, do you remember when QPR and we're going to merge with Reading? Sorry, very off topic, people out there, apologies. And I wrote some long letters that I think David Dean was involved in. Tim's Valley Rangers or something. Complaining about it. And I had about a two and a half page letter back about it. You know, and obviously you could see them out and about in Avenue Road if you hung about after the game and going in or out of the Marble Halls or the car park at the JVC Centre and they went away. They went away and watched Arsenal. Or you'd see them on the the train or whatever it might be. Uh, Yeah, and and now you think there's this guy in America Mm. who 
doesn't give the impression that he's too bothered about any of us or what we think or our he's club. He's an investor, not a supporter. Of course, and of course, and that's his right. Well, I remember when, I, know, when, when we did the Arsenal rap back in the time, and, and I wanted to get it onto, I wanted to get it into merchandising, so I contacted, I think his name was John Hazelwood or something, and wrote him a letter, and I said, and, he, and they and they said, oh yeah, yeah, that sounds good, and they liked it, and it was all, and it was all going on, and then the last minute they went, no, and then there was this sudden kind of possibility of me being actually sued or something, you know, uh, and uh, for passing off or whatever. And, but then I wrote them this letter, you know, I've, I've you know, suffered the depths of depression and the heights of euphoria since I was six. I, I, I you know, wrote my Arsenal CV to them and, you know, they came back and, and it was, I think it was Sounds magazine or NME did a thing on it and said, kindly Arsenal have decided to drop the, you know, the sort, you know, they realised, they, they realised. They didn't stock it though. Uh, uh, no, they didn't, no, they didn't. No. It, stayed, it stayed independent, mm. yes. But, okay. um, Sold yeah. a couple of thousand copies, so all right. I've got one somewhere. <laughs> no, I wouldn't listen to <laughs> it. With all my letters. It's very homemade, let's put it that way. Right, well, um, it's sort of, we're going to uh, move on to a bit more nostalgia in a way. Um, Alan Tomstead emailed. Uh, he said, with the printed Guna coming to an end, which I will mention shortly, it may not be the case. Ooh. Well, yes. Oh, oh, you've done the old oh, trick, Daniel. Oh, you've oh, announced oh, the news. It will depend on the reader's commitment, uh, as I'll explain. But anyway, Alan Thompson asked, do any of the panel remember buying copies from Sports Pages London? Yes, absolutely. And on a similar vein, when did you stop buying, or at least enjoy, at the official programme. Nope. So um, it sort of leads to a wider discussion, which is, do fanzines have a place anymore in the current exchange of supporter opinion? Yes. You think they do? And they're there. They're there as blogs. They're there as podcasts. They're there. It's just yeah, a different format. What right. we're doing now okay. is just because we can, because you can record it and put it on mm. there. The reason that I'm picking up, so people know, it, it had to be the Guna 20 years ago, because it was the only way we could communicate with each other. Well, I, I think, what, you know, if in, when the fanzine came out and in its early and really successful years, it, it, it was an either-or. Either it was a very straight decision. You were either official, buying your merchandise from the club shop, but buying your programme off a programme seller and, and doing things that way, or you were buying the fanzines, you were buying some dodgy t-shirt or badge from a bloke outside, and uh, you, you, that was how, if you were that side of the fence, that was how you communicated, was through the fanzine. And I vividly remember you know, waiting for the next one to come out quite eagerly, because that was your source. That was your, your, your connection to people who felt like you, if you weren't just going down the official paths of, you know, uh, traditional journalism, you know, you might get a match report in the, the, whatever paper you maybe read. Um, there was the old radio programme, but there was so little media, never mind social media, even mainstream media was really minimalist when you go back to the late 80s when, when the fanzine, first, fanzine culture first started to evolve. And fancy culture came about because there were young people who felt something that was going on, who, who weren't going with the flow, uh, who wanted to rally and rebel a little bit and have a laugh along the way and find something a bit anarchic and be able to express themselves and, and 
commune with other like-minded people. Well, it came out of punk, actually. Exactly. Well, this is it. It's very, it was a sort of little cult thing, wasn't it? It was sort of like cult football, kind of grassrootsy, bit dirty. I mean, that's like well, do all my little records I used to do as well. It was like, I could see you doing The Gooner, and I thought, oh, right, well, why don't we do some little, you know, sort of um, indie songs and stuff, and, like, stand on... And that's a bit of street culture. That was, I mean, that obviously old... Highbury, the streets were, you know, there was a vibrance around mm. the streets, and there was a real kind of, the, the, the walk up to the stadium was not as important as being in it, but there was there was certainly a a kind of a, aperitif happening there, you know, um, and uh, and I used to walk around the whole ground sometimes, just, you know, look at all the stalls and do all that sort of stuff, and, mm. and I think, yes, I, th- I mean, I remember there was a point, a definite point, where it was like, well, I don't need to buy the programme anymore, because mm. the Guna actually served the purpose I didn't believe anything that was in the programme, it's all gone a bit stale. There were the times when those programmes in the 70s, you know, and you had, I don't know, Brian Kidd at home or something like that, with, and, and the sort of players in these sort of like, you know, te- wearing Tesco trousers and, and sort of, I don't know, uh, um, in, uh, in front of the fireplace with their family, you know, and, and I used to sort of get the programme for that when I was a kid, you know, and then obviously... The, you know who's who's playing and all that sort of stuff, and and but you you did your, your vouchers as well. Well, no, there were the vouchers, of course. That was important. That's the information. Vouchers, now yeah. you need information. You just get your phone out. But yeah. back then, like you know, it was the only way of having information when you went into yes, the game. That's basically, right. because yeah. we have social media now and all these different platforms, it's you know you can get that all those same vibes electronically, you know, mm. in a millisecond. Mm. Mm. But of course, so somebody made the point, and I thought it was a really, really good one. When you look at that comparison, is that you know, a fanzine had an editor. You know, social media has no editor, mm. so you know where people can quite quickly slip into you know being really foul to one another or overstepping lines that one shouldn't overstep if you're going to be civil. Mm. Um, I think at least with fanzine culture, there was you know people r- recognised that y- you're not absolutely revolting to one another and you try and see the lighter side of things even if you've got a point that you want to make and once um, it's on printed matter mm. you're, you're not going to be able to change it so it's if you're going to write something that's going to be printed you, you're going to make damn sure that you really mean it and it's your, your facts are in place and everything and it's in well I mean I like to triple filter everything I write for the village voice and make sure that it get, you know that it's I've read, you know, I've really been careful before I, I, I put it out a little bit. Whereas I think people, when they're online, it's sort of like blurted out sometimes, you know, and it's not really, you don't sort of self-control or anything. There isn't that stuff. filter that you, people will say things to you that they'd never say to your face if you were discussing it in the pub or there. Of course, it kind of anonymizes but it. But it and felt that. important but because it, it was it was real and it was something you yeah. could buy and look at and go over and over again. And I just de- I definitely remember being totally wowed when I first started to buy the Guna, just thinking, this is fantastic. Yeah. And then, then taking about, I don't know, however many months or whatever it was to pluck up the courage to, you know, to write something, because immediately there was this connection. This is, this, you know, this is my kind of thing. These are my people. This is, my, this is where you want to be. Mm. And, uh, and they were, in those early days, there was always a little, like, the fanzines for everybody. If you've got something to say, write it, send it in. And I thought, that is still the no. policy, actually. I know, but it was, it was, it felt quite... Yeah, I know. You know, because being published was a big deal back oh, then. Yeah. Now anybody can self-publish. Yes. But back then it was like actually seeing something that you've done. 
Well, that was that was what, massive, and it was that by the fans for the fans thing as well. So it was that, that in a way, it was like an alternative voice that you know, it's not the club, which you know, sort of. I remember we sitting in the, not that long ago, and they were lying about the attendance figure, and some bloke coming out and saying, "And Tractor Productions up forty percent," you know. And I just thought, oh, you know, there was a, there was a little bit of us, and there's always been a bit of us and them going on between the club and the fans mm. as well, you know. And mm. I remember it back in the eighties, you know, and. You know, people going on about the board, this and, and the sort of grumblings in the North Bank. Well, yeah. I remember a certain Amy Lawrence being dragged off the North Bank in 1992. Oh, you're bad. Where it was. Four policemen there. Yeah. 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 Oh, 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 come on, Frank. No, no, no. We want the autobiography. Time yeah, is yeah. getting on. Oh, our special days. guest has to depart. <laughs> I will just say this briefly about the Guna. Um, We've had a look at it, and I've, I've actually realised that it is becoming a niche publication. And if people want to want the thing to continue beyond this season, basically um, there'll be less sales on match days and more commitment from uh, the readers to pay for it in advance, season by season. The details I will work out exactly in in November. But uh, once it, once I've done that, it's down to the readers to decide whether or not they want to actually commit and, and keep it going. And if they don't, it's fine. Because my thing about printed matter now, and Amy may be able to relate to this in her own job, it's, it's, it's difficult to maintain on the pre-existing model. You've got to adapt, and mm. that's what we're going to try and do. Anyway... Um, I am very grateful to Amy for coming and I do know she has to rush off so I'm going to conclude things here. I will just name check Mr Lancaster who raised several topics we did cover in other questions. Thanks for that. Other than that, uh, just to say that uh, the current issue of the Guna is on sale at home matches up until Huddersfield when the next one comes out. This is our 30th anniversary special. It's got a Tony Adams interview, plenty of nostalgia, uh, columnists and uh, articles about uh, the current matters. So, yeah, pick one up, £3 um, from our sellers outside the stadium, home and away. Um, apart from that, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can email schoonerpodcast.gmail.com or tweet us at schoonerpodcast. And uh, we will be back in, I think, about the second Tuesday of November uh, for our next one. However, with that, it is many thanks to the panel. Thank you to Basti. Thank you. Tim. Thank you. And, of course, our special guest, Amy. Thanks. And with that, uh, this is goodbye from your host, Kevin Witcher, and we'll be back uh, in a month's time. Thank you for listening. la di da di da la di da di dee all good friends and jolly good company. Well, hey! <laughs>